can you express your feelings towards the Swedish stance in this issue? Disgust would be the best way of putting it. Disgust? Disgust. Anyone acquainted with the scope and nature of the crimes of the Nazis against the Jewish people and against other enemies of the Reich and the failure to treat these crimes with the utmost uh, seriousness is a moral failure. There's no question in my mind. This is World of Swedish History, and my name is Johan Rumin, and I'm a Swedish journalist based in Stockholm. Just a couple of days ago, I ran across a newspaper article from 1986. It was in the research of a coming program about the murder of Olof Palme, and I looked through all Svenska Dagbladet newspapers from 1986. And in November of that year, I read that the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Los Angeles had sent a document to the Swedish embassy in Washington. It was a list of Nazi criminals that they said lived in Sweden. These men had been collaborators to the Nazi regime in the Baltic states of Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia during World War II. And they had lived in Sweden from the end of the 1940s and 50s and they had never been investigated or prosecuted even though they had been active in the killing of Jews during the Holocaust. In 1986, the government of Sweden had made the list confidential, but I contacted our Ministry of Foreign Affairs in order to get the list, and I'm still waiting for their answer. And then I called Ephraim Suraf at the Simon Wiesenthal Center, who is now living in Jerusalem, to get the background on how the Swedish government reacted when they got the list of the Nazi killers. You have to understand that this was a period of time in which it became increasingly clear that thousands of Nazi war criminals had escaped to the Western world. And I'm not referring to South America. Uh, I'm referring to the Anglo-Saxon democracies and also to Sweden. In other words, this was something that was uh, not known or for the most part, unknown, and that is that whereas the German and Austrian criminals, many of them, especially the most prominent ones, had escaped to South America, primarily to Argentina, but not exclusively to Argentina, uh, or to the Middle East, to Egypt and Syria, their Eastern European collaborators had actually headed for the Anglo-Saxon democracies. Now, on the surface, this seems patently absurd because these are the countries that fought against Nazi Germany. But for a variety of reasons, which are too complicated to go into over here in the framework of this uh, broadcast on Sweden, um, they were able to gain entry to the United States, Canada, Australia, UK, New Zealand, posing as innocent refugees escaping from communism. And these, this fact was initially discovered in the United States, uh, but it eventually became clear that this was true not only in the United States, but also in other Western democracies. And among the sources, there was also information that Latvian and Estonian Nazi war criminals had emigrated to Sweden. And that was the basis for the list that uh, I compiled here in Jerusalem. 
which was presented to the Swedish embassy in 1986, in November, I believe. The people on the list, the suspected uh, perpetrators and collaborators from the Baltic states, what, what have they been doing during the World War II and, and, and the Holocaust in the Baltics? Listen, they, it, it was a mixed list. There was there were people who were involved in office uh, as police officers in Latvia and in Estonia. There were people who were involved in incitement and uh, collaborationist newspapers. People from small towns, people from capital cities. It was a totally totally mixed bag. So you had a person like Oscar Angelis, who was involved in the creating the uh, Estonian political police, which are the ones who murdered uh, many hundreds of Jews uh, and other quote-unquote enemies of the Reich in, in Estonia. You had someone like Carlos Lobe, who was a, uh, a police chief in Ventspils in Latvia. And you had different types and different different degrees of responsibility and of culpability. And what what was the reaction from the Swedish government when you showed them this list? Listen, what I want to make clear is that it was obvious to me, as someone who has extensive had extensive research uh, in investigating Holocaust crimes, and uh, I had just completed six years working for the Office of Special Investigations of the U.S. Justice Department, uh, it was clear to me that the sources that we had were, could only provide us with the tip of the iceberg, and that only a government could actually conduct a serious investigation to determine the extent of this phenomenon and the scope of the problem. So basically what we were presenting was we were presenting the tip of the iceberg to the authorities in the hope that the authorities would understand that this is a serious problem and it should be dealt with in a serious manner, which means a comprehensive investigation using the tools that only governments have in terms of uh, records on immigration, uh, you know, entry and, and, and all of this. Swedish government totally rejected the uh, the request, and uh, it was based. Well, the two the two things basically pre were presented. One is the fact that Sweden had a statute of limitations of 25 years on crimes which included genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity. And I have to point out that this statute of limitations was very, uh, uh, it's not exactly unique because Norway had the same thing. But these two countries were the only two countries in the Western world which had a statute of limitations on war crimes, genocide, and crimes against humanity. So that that was a legal obstacle, okay? Um, but uh, what was interesting was that the justification which was presented uh, by the Swedish authorities uh, in a letter that that was written by three uh, secretaries of state, Johan Hirschfeld of the Cabinet Office, Johan Munch of the Ministry of Justice, and Hans Corell of the, of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And what was obvious was that they, it was as if they were living in a, in a Swedish bubble that had no contact or connection to the outside world. Basically, what they were saying was it's impossible at this point to uh, investigate these issues and these people, you know, much time has passed. 
In the meantime, all over the world, they were investigating. The United States was already taking legal action. Canada was investigating, was deciding to, was, you know, uh, investigating the issue to decide whether or not to take legal action. Same was true in Australia. And I can tell you that the, in those countries, the United States ultimately has won, uh, has taken legal action against more than, I think it's 111 or 113 Nazi war criminals who entered the country. Uh, Canada took action against 10 uh, successful legal action. And uh, there have been investigations and prosecutions going on in so many different countries. But Sweden, nothing. And your thoughts about that? What do you think about the Swedish way? I think it's the height of hypocrisy. And I use the term hypocrisy because Sweden parades as a paragon of concern for human rights and humanitarianism. So apparently this humanitarianism doesn't apply to victims of the Holocaust. Listen, every, every year we put out an uh, annual status report on the worldwide investigation prosecution of Nazi war criminals. And we give grades uh, ranging from A to F2 uh, to every country in which such things should, in theory, be being, being done. In other words, investigation and prosecution. So in the F category, which is the category failure category, there are two types of F. F1 is failure in principle, which means that it's impossible to prosecute Nazi war criminals, which is the case both in Norway and in Sweden, and in the interim. And I, I venture to say that possibly as a result of the, these failing grades that they receive every year, they both, Norway in 2007 and Sweden, I think in 2011 or 2012, changed their law, dropped the statute of limitations on war crimes, genocide and crimes against humanity in Sweden. And in Norway, on war crimes, crimes against humanity and and, uh, and terror in, uh, in Norway. But the change was not made retroactively, so we're still in the same boat. In other words, we, we, the authorities in Norway and Sweden uh, cannot prosecute Nazi war criminals. So first of all, we all understand that Norway collaborated, the Norwegians collaborated with the Nazis. Everyone knows about Vidkun Quisling, whose name has become a code word for collaboration. But what most people don't know is that many Swedes went to Norway to volunteer for the SS. So even though Sweden was neutral during World War II, was ostensibly neutral, there were Swedes who were involved in, um, in Nazi war crimes, and they are basically untouchable. And today uh, a lot of people are talking about the IS terrorists and what we should do with them if they should be taken home here to Sweden, or uh, since they are Swedish citizens? Are there any comparisons, uh, the two of them? Listen, I don't like these uh, facile uh, comparisons. ISIS is one problem, the Holocaust is a different problem. But it's, it's fair to say that a way has to be found to hold these people accountable, in both cases, for the crimes they committed. And uh, this, is, this is up to the Swedish government. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a saying of, of the rabbis, he who is kind to the cruel ends up being cruel to the kind. In other words, if you, in other words, there are certain cases in which sympathy 
and pity is not what you should be doing. They don't deserve sympathy and pity. In other words, when I try to explain about Nazi war criminals, I say, among other arguments, that they're the last people on earth who deserve any sympathy because they showed no sympathy to their victims, some of whom were older at the time than they are today. So when you look at these people, you shouldn't see old, frail men and women. You should think of people who, at the prime of their physical powers, devoted all their energies to committing heinous crimes against innocent men, women, and children who were declared enemies of the Reich. And what do you think about the answer from the Swedish government that uh, there was this uh, uh, limitation, periods of limitations? Listen, in Nuremberg, in Nuremberg, at the IMT, the International Military Tribunal, the new categories of criminality were created which did not exist at the time of the crime. Now, the crimes being committed during the uh, Third Reich from 1933 to 1945, And these new categories of criminality made it uh, more, e- in other words, made it more possible. Well, I would say they were a much better reflection of the crimes of the Third Reich, which were basically unprecedented, and it made it uh, more uh, more possible to convict the uh, the defendants in the trials, not only in the main trial, the major war crimes, but also in the subsequent trials. So in Germany, for example, they refused to accept these new, new categories of criminality. And as a result, very few, relatively few, there was something like 190,000, I think it was 90,000 indictments issued against Nazi war criminals in West Germany. Less than 7,000 were convicted and punished. And part of the reason was that the, the people who were put on trial were tried under an 1871 law passed in Prussia, which, I mean, this is years before the Holocaust ever happened, that no one had an idea that that the civilized cultured nation of Germany could build a death factory, which would turn, basically create industrialized mass murder. And they'd be desk murderers, for example. It's a category that almost didn't exist before. So listen, this is all a question of political will. And in uh, Sweden, the political will did not exist to take action against these criminals. And uh, you have, in a sense, you know what, I I try and explain it as a form of moral pollution. Everyone knows what physical pollution is. And everyone understands that that's a danger to, to the lives and health of the residents of a certain area. But no one understands, fewer people understand that there is such a thing as moral pollution. In other words, that people who committed horrible crimes are allowed to get away with it, and that held accountable. And uh, listen, this is only encouragement to the next generation of genocidists. So would you say that uh, the Nuremberg trial would have been impossible if the whole world would have had the same stance as the Swedish one? Listen, first of all, if there had been a statute of limitations, there could have been no trial whatsoever. None whatsoever. And uh, in, in a sense, this was this was one of the arguments that was presented. In other words, there is a statute of limitations, period. But as we all know, subsequent uh, experience has shown that you could drop the statute of limitations. Now the question then becomes retroactivity. So in Nuremberg, they will they decided to 
pass retroactive legislation uh, to enable a much more accurate judicial process. What, what do you think is the reason for this uh, Swedish decision? Uh, is it that we are we're afraid of doing something or better to put the lid on the on the, this thing, so to speak? So it's hard for me to say. In other words, I'm not an expert on internal Swedish politics, but it was clear that Sweden wanted to rid itself of this entire problem and uh, you can see you can see from the if you examine the the records of the Sandler Commission, which is the one that investigated the refugees from Eastern Europe who came by who came to Sweden, very often they overlooked uh, people who committed serious crimes and and let them and let them go. People like Ewald Mixon from uh, Estonia, people like uh, Harry Manil, both of them were in the Estonian political police. Both of them were involved in the rest and the rest of people who were executed. And there are other cases. So, listen, this is a very, very sad, sad chapter. And again, I mean, they chose they chose to be, uh, how should I put it, uh, sympathetic or some to show some uh, form of sympathy to people who certainly didn't deserve it. Can you express your feelings towards the Swedish stance in this issue? Disgust would be the best way of putting it. Disgust? Disgust. Anyone acquainted with the scope and nature of the crimes of the Nazis against the Jewish people and against other enemies of the Reich, homosexuals, communists, the handicapped, the mentally ill, the chronically ill. I mean, these are categories, all gypsies. These are all categories of people who suffered under the Reich. I mean, the Jews were the primary enemy. And I have news for you. If the Nazis had won, then the next the next enemy would have been the Slavs. And they had plans to, to, to eliminate the Slavs in Eastern Europe. Listen, this is the most genocidal regime in human history. And the failure to treat these crimes with the utmost uh, seriousness is a moral failure. There's no question in my mind. So it's not a question of my emotional response. It's a question of a factual response. Sweden had an opportunity to take legal action against a considerable number of of, uh, of Nazi collaborators who came to Sweden posing as innocent refugees when they were far from innocent refugees. And what about Carlis Lobe? I, I found out that he lived here just two kilometers from where I sit right now. He was the, if I'm not mistaken, he was the police chief in Ventspils. That's a Latvian small city. And was involved uh, in as a police as a uh, police officer, security police, uh, in the uh, eventually in, in some way, shape, or form in the annihilation of the Jews of Ventspils. So, do you think that there still are war criminals living here in Sweden? Actually, there is one living in Sweden that I know of, who was originally Danish, who uh, is living in Sweden now, as far as I know, as of last year, he was still alive. And he served in a Judenlager, a camp for Jews set up by the Nazis in the Belarusian city of Babrusk, uh, which was under the control, uh, the Freikorps, Danish Freikorps were involved in the discipline of the camp and running the camp. 
And 98% of the inmates either were murdered or died of the conditions. So he is a Dane living in Sweden, and uh, we discovered him, and uh, we brought his presence in Sweden to the attention of the Danish authorities, because the Swedes we knew wouldn't do anything. Uh, but the problem was we couldn't prove a specific crime, that they had committed a specific crime. If, for example, the Danish authorities would have adopted the German model, which which was changed 10 years ago, uh, because now in Germany, if you served in a death camp or a camp where the conditions were very severe, or in the Einsatz group, in the killing units, uh, you, can be, you can be convicted of accessory to murder based on service alone. And that there was proof of. But uh, if, if, if you take, in other words, if you do what the Germans did until 10 years ago, which was that you had to prove a specific crime against a specific victim, which is motivated by racial hatred, then it's almost impossible to do these days. And recently you published a book about the Holocaust in Lithuania where you interviewed people who were eyewitnesses to it. True. Very true. Very painful. Uh, my family, my mother's family is from Lithuania. I'm actually named after her uncle who was murdered in Lithuania, most probably by Lithuanians. And uh, Lithuania is the country with the highest percentage of victims, 96.4 percent. 212,000 of the 220,000 Jews who lived in Lithuania under the Nazi occupation were murdered. And in Lithuania, not only did they murder their own Jews, they murdered thousands of Jews brought to Lithuania from Central Europe, and they even sent the Lithuanian security auxiliary police unit to Belarus, where they murdered at least 20,000 Jews in 15 different places. So Lithuanians have a very big share in the crimes of the Holocaust. And unfortunately, the government uh, narrative, which was created in the wake of independence, is that the Holocaust was indeed a terrible tragedy. But that was when the Germans and Austrians came to our country and murdered our Jews. And if you press them, they'll admit there were a few degenerate Lithuanians, primitive, illiterate farmers who unfortunately joined the occupier. So this is a total lie because all strata of Lithuanian society were actively involved in the mass murder of the Jews. And our book, Musishki, which means our people, uh, basically says that, says that and, and proves it. And the book uh, created quite a stir in Lithuania and unfortunately is no longer available because uh, all the books by my co-author, Ruta Venegaita, were taken off the shelves by the publisher, I think at the behest of the government, and this was the revenge for ex exposing the lies of the Lithuanian government. Mm. And I re read that uh, a lot of people in Lithuania still think it's that you should not investigate this, you should not look, look into it. That's common in Eastern Europe, but look at what's going on in Eastern Europe. These countries are emptying out. You know, there were 3.5 million people in Lithuania when Lithuania obtained independence. And today there's less than two and a half million. And part of that is the shadow of the Holocaust over these countries. And the same is true in Latvia, less in Estonia, but also in Latvia. And these countries are just gonna disappear. Who wants to live under the shadow of, mass, of a mass murder of this dimension in which people don't take responsibility, don't admit their culpability, and build a nation based on lies. Yeah. This is, some of their heroes 
some of the heroes. We had there was a whole case now this past month. Um, someone living in the United States whose whose roots are in Lithuania, a Jew living in the United States, hundred members of his family were murdered in uh, northwestern Lithuania, where a man named Jonas Nareka was the liaison with the Nazi authorities and played an important role, an active role, in the in the ghettoization and murder and later the theft of the property and belongings of these Jews. About 17,000 Jews in that area of northwestern Lithuania. Now, because of his role in the anti-Soviet resistance after 19, after World War II, he's become a national hero. There's an elementary school named for him. There's, there's, there's a plaque in the Academy of Sciences and Culture where he worked in Vilna after World War II. And uh, his name is chiseled on the facade of the Vilna District Court. And uh, you say to yourself, you know, if someone was involved in murdering his fellow, his neighbors, his fellow Lithuanian citizens, in this case Jews, that should disqualify them from being the hero. But that's not the case in Lithuania. And there are streets named for these people and there are monuments. In Ukmerge, there's a monument to Krikstaponis, who was the commander of the unit in Belarus that murdered uh, thousands of Jews. So who wants to live in a country whose heroes are mass murderers? And what do you think Sweden should do now? In uh, when you think about what we did not do in the 80s and 90s, listen, it's too late for justice in this in this respect because the subjects are no longer alive. What I would say is what this what this requires is what is what Finland did. In other words, that this whole issue of the immigration to Sweden by Nazi collaborators, primarily from Estonia and Latvia should be fully investigated and a authoritative report should be issued, should be written and taught in the Finnish, in the Swedish schools and uh, as part of Swedish history. And it should be understood that the that Swedish government screwed up. The Swedish government of 1886 screwed up and at least they should admit it at this point. I, I, there's nothing else that can be done. I wish I could bring these people back to life and punish them. But that's not, of course, uh, an option. Thank you, Ephraim Zurov. If you want to discuss this program or ask questions, or if you want to see updates about Swedish history, please join the World of Swedish History Facebook page and also help me share this episode. I will be back next week with a new episode of the podcast series World of Swedish History.